And that is the purpose of our lives, the glory of God. Thank you, Jamie, for sharing today. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open to 2 Kings 16.7. will be our springboard verse today. 2 Kings 16, verse 7, page 401 in your pew Bible. If you'd like to use a pew Bible, it should be page 401. I'll say welcome to those of you watching in the Life Center as well. I have a message that's appropriate for all of us today, but especially our students. Especially our students. I've entitled it Back to School Temptations. Back to School Temptations. And here we see an interesting parallel between an Old Testament king named Ahaz and an Assyrian king named Tiglath-Pileser and how he made a pact with them, a treaty, a covenant with them, and he should not have done that. And the principles here for all of our students, as well as all believers today, back to school temptations. Look in verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. I'm under your authority. I belong to you. We're pals now. We're, we're brothers together. That's not a good thing. This guy was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. Join me in prayer. Lord, I pray today you'll anoint this message as those listening in the Life Center, those listening at home, all of our friends in Columbia as they watch. Lord, I pray that you'll bless here in the sanctuary. Remind us of how important it is that we avoid the temptations to which Ahaz succumbed. God, help us to be believers who are passionate about these truths. We ask your blessing and help in Jesus' name. Amen. Birds of a feather flock together. Bad company corrupts good morals. And here's my favorite. I use this with my son all the time. You always become like those with whom you associate. Now, these facts are important for all of us to remember, but especially, especially our students, as many of them return to school this coming Wednesday. The friends you choose will determine what you will do, what you believe, how you will act. You know, John Dillinger, the criminal's mother, he died when he was three years of age. His dad was working all the time. He was raised by his older sister, but mostly by the kids of the street where he lived. What kind of kids were those boys that had such an impact on John Dillinger? Well, one of his buddies was Fred Brewer. Fred's daddy was a whiskey salesman, and his daddy liked to drink whiskey a lot. And he would beat Fred, and Fred talked to Johnny about helping him put a bunch of rocks up on the roof of the front porch so when his dad came home drunk, they could push the rocks off on his daddy and knock him out and all laugh. That was the kind of friends that he had. Johnny's friends called themselves the Dirty Dozen. They liked to steal coal from the Pennsylvania Railroad Freight Yard and sell it for candy and bubble gum. Johnny and Fred were caught stealing coal and had to appear before a judge. That didn't stop Johnny from stealing whiskey from boxcars. And soon Johnny was stealing cars and robbing stores and sent to prison where he made even more bad, bad friends who were a lot worse than Fred Brewer. When John Dillinger was released from prison, he robbed 10 more banks, killed 10 men, wounded seven. And as you know, in 1934, he was killed by Melvin Purvis and his G-Men while leaving the Biosphere movie theater. His life began going downhill the moment he fell in with the wrong crowd. 
You know, this is such a scary thought to me, and I know Brother Adam and a lot of youth pastors and parents. A young man or a young lady can sit in church week after week after week for years and hear hundreds and hundreds of sermons and lessons on right and wrong, but one bad friend comes along and all that knowledge of right and wrong can be tossed out the window in a single day. One bad friend and you'll be tempted to shelve everything you believe and know to be true and find yourself doing things you never would have done had it not been for the bad influences of the bad friends. That's why I say it's better to have no friends than have the wrong friends. Now today's message, a strange passage for this I would agree, is about an obscure Judean king named Ahaz who made friends with a king of Assyria named Tiglath-Pileser III and that would be over what would be in present-day Iraq. It happens in the days and time of the prophet Isaiah when Assyria was the rising superpower in the world. They were the new kid on the block, the big bully on the block too. Judah had been attacked by Syria's king Aram and northern Israel's king Pekah. So Judah's king Ahaz realized he needed help fast, so he turned to God when he needed help. No, that's not what he did. He turned to this pagan king in Assyria. Isaiah told King Ahaz, King, if you'll just ask for the Lord's help, he'll give it to you. Just ask him for a sign that proves he'll give it to you. A sign that is high as the heaven above, the earth below. You name it, God will give it to you. Man, that's a pretty good offer, isn't it? You just, whatever you name, God will show you he's going to be with you. And you won't need to turn to this old pagan Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III. Well, piously in Isaiah 7, 12, we read, the response of Ahaz, he said, I will not test the Lord. And why did he say that, 2 Kings 10, 8? Because he already had made plans to pay Tiglath-Pileser with the silver and the gold right out of the temple, resulting in one of the greatest prophecies we have in the whole Bible, Isaiah 7, 14. For the Lord himself shall give you a sign. You're going to get it anyway, that he will always be with his people. Here's the sign. A virgin, literally the virgin, shall conceive and be with a child, and she shall bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. That means God with us. What did King Ahaz do? He rejected the prophet's words, and he made this bad alliance with a bad king, bad friends that affected him and his descendants for years. And like John Dillinger, 2 Chronicles 28, 27, tells us Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of Jerusalem. They did not bring him into the tomb of the kings. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. We don't know how Ahaz died or how long he lived after these words were given, but we know this bad treaty, alliance, friendship with this unbeliever cost him and the nation big time. So Christian students, listen. When you return to school this coming Wednesday, whenever you return, or to work, Remember these three temptations and how you can overcome them. Number one, avoid bad companions. Bad companions. Again, seven tells us, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant. I'm your son. I'm under your authority. Come up now and deliver us from the hand of the king of Aram. That was Syria. And from the hand of the king of Israel. That was Pekah, who are rising up against me. When Reason, the king of Syria, joined forces with Pekah, the king of northern Israel, they tried to defeat Jerusalem by besieging the city, but they couldn't do it. 
Knowing his time was brief, Judas king Ahaz sought to make an alliance with the serious king Tiglath-Pileser. And so he sent messengers to this king, and he said, I'm your servant, I'm your son. Come rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and the hand of the king of northern Israel. And he paid this Assyrian king with silver and gold from the temple and the king's palace. Isn't it amazing how archaeology always confirms the Bible? Always, always. In 1873, they found a clay tablet called the Annals of Tiglath-Pileser III in a palace in Iraq. The tablet tells us not only did Ahaz pay Tiglath-Pileser III silver, gold, tin, wool, linen garments, but also many horses and many costly garments from the sea, probably a lot of pearls. He just gave it all to him. You come protect me. I'll give you all the valuables out of the temple and my house. And so instead of praying, instead of turning to God for help, he gave away the valuables to this pagan king so he could purchase his protection from Assyria. But the first question he should have asked is, what kind of nation is Assyria? That's what he didn't ask. And what kind of people are those new friends, young folks, that you'll be meeting and making as close friends this coming Wednesday? See, that's the first question you need to ask before they become your really close friends. Now, the Assyrians worshipped many gods. They worshipped Asher, the dragon god of war, Ishtar, the goddess of love, Geshtu, the god of intelligence, Nanar, the moon goddess, Babar, the sun god, Namu, the water goddess, and many other gods and goddesses raising the question, why would a king who's the king of a nation of Yahweh God a king that had such a Christian, a, a, a godly Judean legacy of being monotheistic, why in the world would he make such an alliance? And really the question goes beyond that is why would you young folks become close, close friends with unbelievers who have no comprehension of the truth of God's word? Exodus thirty four twelve. God said, Do not make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land, lest they become a snare in your midst. And that's exactly what Ahab was, has, was doing, and they would be a snare in their midst. Exodus 23, 32, God said, you shall make no covenant with them at all. But that's what Ahaz was doing. Judges 2, 2, you're not to make a covenant with the peoples of the land, but tear down their altars. And Ahaz not only made a covenant with the Assyrians, he would use their altar as the model for a brand new altar he would build in Jerusalem and make the people worship on this new altar. Not a good idea. It's crystal clear what God said. But Ahaz didn't care what God said. He only cared what he wanted to do. And you know that's the way it is for many professing believers. That's the way it is for many students who claim to be believers. I know none of ours, but many of them. You know, not only does bad company corrupt good morals, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Paraphrase, be friendly and kind to everyone, but don't let your close, close, close friends be unbelievers. Because if you do, friend, their words will affect you, and their actions will affect you, and their values will affect you. It didn't matter to Ahaz that Tiglath-Pileser was not a believer in Yahweh God, because, well, oh, Ahaz wasn't either. He worshipped Baal. And even when Isaiah told him, ask God for a sign that will protect you, he refused. Ahaz was an unbeliever. And we're going to see what he did, Tiglath-Pileser did. 
effect it has when he made this alliance. And what unbelievers do will affect believers and their practices if they yoke up with close friends. You know, one of the practices that's really growing today is something called vaping, V-A-P-I-N-G. And a lot of folks think vaping is safe. It is not safe. In 2020, the CDC reported that 68 Americans died of injuries from lungs due to vaping. 2,800 plus died from injuries in their lungs due to vaping. The CDC, Center for Disease Control, says vaping is bad for your heart and lungs. They said it raises your blood pressure. It increases your rate, risk of a heart attack. As a matter of fact, they said electronic cigarettes are just as addictive as traditional ones. And the report said a new generation is getting hooked on nicotine by e-cigarettes. According to the National Youth Tobacco Survey in 2021, over 2 million U.S. middle and high school students are using e-cigarettes. Eight in ten are flavored. The CDC said usage of these e-cigarettes has increased 1,000% for high schoolers and 400% for middle school students. Now, as I speak right now this moment in Moscow, there's a WNBA basketball star in jail for trying to leave Russia with cannabis oil cartridges that she vapes. Don't you know she's regretting not just bringing the cannabis hash oil into that country. She's regretting vaping right now. Same is true for Walker McKnight. Walker started college in Orlando in 2018. Listen to this, young folks. Listen to this. His friends encouraging him to try vapor, vaping. They said it's safer than cigarettes. So Walker McKnight did that. But three months after trying his first e-cigarette, he was in the hospital in Orlando fighting for his life, drifting in and out of consciousness. His lungs collapsed and they were inflamed. His critical care specialist, Dr. Charles Hundley, at Orlando Regional Medical Center said, it's the worst case I've ever seen. He's dying in front of our eyes. Months later, he couldn't hold food. He had fevers, chills, pneumonia. His mom is a critical care nurse there in the hospital. She said, we lost him five times. As I speak, this young man is still alive. He's lost 80 pounds. His lungs and kidneys are destroyed. His life revolves around dialysis and doctor's visits. And the doctor says he's going to need a kidney transplant. Now, was this the result of vaping? No, it was a result of choosing friends that vaped. I don't know how Brittany Griner got started vaping. And I know she's in jail because of cannabis oil. But I guarantee you, friends, right now, this minute, wherever she is, she wishes she'd never started. Choose your companions wisely. And that is what Ahaz did not do. God through Isaiah said, you ask God to help you, he'll help you. But Ahaz piously refused. Instead, he offered to pay a serious king all the valuables out of the temple and his palace. Not only a bad decision that violates the clear commands of Exodus and Deuteronomy, but it also violated the command of the prophet Isaiah. And it would result in negative consequences on Ahaz and Jerusalem. Make sure you pick friends who are saved. Make sure they're faithful and someone who's a real follower of Christ. If that person doesn't attend church and Bible study on a regular basis, I wouldn't yoke up with them as close friends. Be nice to them? Absolutely. Friendly to them? Yes, indeed. Invite them to go to church with you? Absolutely. But remember, since it's true, you always become like those with whom you associate. 
If they're not a believer in Christ, they're going to pull you downstream every time, every time. And don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be pulled downstream. In Proverbs 1.10, Solomon wrote, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood and drink for stealing or cursing or partying or anything else you shouldn't be doing. Verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil. This coming Wednesday, students, listen. Beware the temptation of bad companions. Here's a limerick I shared a few years ago, and I wrote it. That tells you about one of my experiences with bad friends. Here it is. True story. I once had a friend named Dave who tempted me to misbehave. A mini bike in the street, and the police I did meet, and to my cousin, that mini bike I gave. I had to get rid of it. Now, Dave was not violent, Dave was not a believer. He thought laws were meant for breaking. And I discovered right away, according to my dad, mini bikes can be meant for giving away. I love the mini bikes. Sears Best, three and a half horsepower Briggs and Stratton, green mini bike, scrub brake, Sears Best. Oh, it was good. But it went as quickly as my friend Dave. Avoid bad companions. Avoid bad companions. If they're not a believer, don't yoke up with them. That's pretty simple. Number two, avoid the temptations of bad compromises. Bad compromises. 10 and 11. Verse 10. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar which was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the pattern of the altar and its model according to its workmanship. So Urijah the priest built an altar... This is in Jerusalem. According to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus, that's in Syria, thus Urijah the priest made it before the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. Here's what happened. After Assyria's king defeated the Syrians in Damascus, Ahaz wanted to meet his new savior, his new bosom buddy, pal, friend, and colleague, Tiglath-Pileser III, the unbeliever that worshipped all kinds of different gods. While he was up there, he saw an altar that had been built that looked like a replica of the one that Moses built in Jerusalem. Now, it was not the same. It was different, but it was a pretty close replica. Ahaz called his high priest, Urijah. He wrote down the dimensions and details of the altar. He said, look, that's a whole lot bigger, better, nicer, newer, newfangled than what we, that old altar of Moses we have at our temple. I remember the altar in Syria was used to make sacrifices to other gods. Hear me. The one in Damascus was used to offer sacrifices to other gods, not Yahweh God, not Jehovah. The whole scene reminds me of this time when Jeroboam built golden calves in Dan and Bethel so people wouldn't have to leave northern and, and southern Israel to worship in Jerusalem. Same kind of idolatry here. Except now King Ahaz is replacing the altar in Jerusalem with this new cultic altar from a pagan land he was changing the way to worship that god gave moses centuries earlier compromising what god gave 
he rationalized, well, it doesn't have to be a bronze altar. It can be made of something else. It can be plastic, plexiglass, pine wood. It doesn't matter. But God had given specific instructions on the material, the shape, the sizes of the bronze altar. And like the Ark of the Covenant, the bronze altar was made of acacia wood, thorny bush-like wood. Some believe the same kind of wood from out of the bush that God called Abraham. Couldn't be pine, couldn't be plastic, couldn't be plexiglass. On the four corners of the bronze altar were the four horns or flesh hooks. And by the way, I meant Moses, not, not Abraham. Sorry about that. These basically served to keep the uh, altar offering from sliding off the altar. There were, there were hooks on the side. And the horns were specifically to be hooks to keep the altar, the sacrifice, from sliding off. They weren't to be bells or harps or circles or whatever, but flesh hooks. When Solomon's temple was later built, several references can be found to people grabbing the horns of the altar, which was symbolic of see- seeking mercy and grace at the bottom of Moses's bronze altar was a large grate used for catching all the ashes from the sacrificial animals. Point being, Ahaz, king of Judea, did not have the authority to change the materials in the bronze altar or the dimensions of the bronze altar or the purpose of the bronze altar. But bad companions, Tiglath-Pileser, caused him to make bad compromises as they always will. Listen to me, young folks. Unbelievers have different priorities and values than we do, that we should have. They don't think anything about drinking, partying, cursing, missing church on Sunday. Don't think anything about it at all. Listen to me just a minute, and we'll talk pretty straight. Sunday should not be the day we go to church if there's nothing better to do. It shouldn't be, as it is for some Christians, the last rung on the ladder, the last option of things to do. Well, if we don't have anything else to do, I guess we'll have to go to church. It should be the day when we remember the Lord who rose from the dead. See, the early apostles and believers celebrated Sunday as the day of worship, and so do we. When the commandment says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday, it just means the seventh day. And depending on when you start, Sunday was the day all the apostles celebrated the resurrection. And so should we. So beware of friends who invite you to Sunday events where you'll miss church. Woo, watch out now. I've said this a thousand times. Let me make it a thousand and one. Church attendance should not be that little piece of parsley on an overcrowded plate of life. Man, it ought to be the porterhouse steak, the big event, the main event, the sole event. And nothing else on the plate should be allowed to push the porterhouse off the steak, off the plate. I'm going to illustrate this so you're going to get what I'm saying, okay? There won't be any mistake on this. Here we go. All right, young folks, listen to me now. If you're 18 and up, this applies to you. But imagine, young folks, you can still relate to this. Imagine how you'd feel if you went to Texas Cattle Company to get your birthday steak. And when you got your plate... And they brought it to you. On the plate was a huge, huge bunch of parsley. And that's it. Hey, waiter, where's my steak? Sorry, sir. When we put the huge piece of parsley on your plate, we didn't have any room for the steak. Uh, no room. Well, I guess that's okay because all my friends 
prefer parsley anyway. Is that what you'd say? If that's what you'd say, I think you need some new friends. <laughs> All right, here it is. Here's the punchline. Here's the drum roll. Here we go. The parsley should never push the porterhouse off the plate. Right? You with me? The parsley should never push the porterhouse. Coming to church is the porterhouse. Being involved in God's truth and God's word with God's people on Sunday, the day of resurrection, that's the main event. That's the big thing. That's the main thing on the plate. Everything else is parsley. Everything else. Yeah, be friendly to all, but don't become best friends with those who have a habit of letting the parsley push the porterhouse off the plate. Sunday's the Lord's day. It's not our day. It's not anybody else's day. Sunday is the Lord's day, right? I've said it a thousand times. Let me say it a thousand and one. The reason, oh, I love this. The reason Eric Liddell refused to compete in certain races in the 1923 Olympics was because the races were held on what day? Sunday. That's right. He could have won the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the 4 by 4 meter races. He'd have got gold in all of them. All of them. Gold is pretty valuable stuff. He would have cashed in gold in all of them. But he refused to run in those races on Sunday because he would not miss church on Sunday. He'd had fortune and fame had he run on those days and gotten all those gold medals. He'd have won them all. But he refused to make church the parsley and not the porterhouse. He refused to make it, well, if there's nothing else to do, I guess we'll have to go to church. No. No. Christian student, when you return to school this week or work, wherever it is, refuse to compromise your convictions about what the Bible teaches. Don't compromise. And that is exactly what King Ahaz did. Bad companions, Tiglath Blizar the third of Assyria, had an influence on him. He saw that brand new altar up there. Different materials, different size, different stuff to different gods. Ooh, I like that. We need one of those. We still got that old thing Moses built. We need something nice, new, you know. So that's what he did. He compromised. He compromised. Number three, avoid bad commitments. That bad commitments. Verse 15. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar, that is, now we're talking about this new one back in Jerusalem, Burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering and the king's burnt offering and his meal offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meal offering and their drink offering, that's libations, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. Notice this last phrase of verse number 15. But the bronze altar, the one of Moses, that old one that we've had forever, that shall be for me to inquire by. What in the world does that mean? Ahaz now gave an order. We're now committed to a brand new altar. And so the high priest has to make all the daily sacrifices on the new altar. And that reveals that a s idolatry had replaced worship of Yahweh God. I mean, what was, what was offered on that, that altar up there? Sacrifices to other gods. Idolatry replaced worship of God. And Ahaz would keep the old mosaic. He wasn't going to throw it away. He was still going to hang on to the old one Moses made to inquire by. What does that mean to inquire by? This is really sad. 
It refers to the Assyrian practice of cutting open an animal and looking at their entrails to divine by, seek guidance by, the way the heart and liver presented themselves when you cut that little animal open. Do we go to war against this company, this, this country or not? Do we go to war? Cut open the animal. Oh, there's the liver. It fell to the left. That means no. Or it fell to the right. That means yes. And that's what they were doing. It's a pagan practice called Harusification. I learned a new word too this week. H-A-R-U-S-P-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. That is the process of divining by the entrails of an animal or inquiring by the gods, plural, to see if you should do something or not by looking at the liver. And the priest that did that was called the Haruspex. H-A-R-U-S-P-E-X. I'd never heard that one either. And again, what they would do is they would cut the animal open and, and make pronouncements about future events. Quick question. This is not a hard one. This is on your systematic theology test. Number seven. Does this point to what Jesus did on Calvary's cross? No. You got that right. Is it what God told Moses to do? No. Was this a pagan religious ritual to pagan non-existent gods? Yes. A pagan ritual done by pagan Assyrians as they consulted their non-existent pagan gods. Can you imagine using the holy bronze altar that typified and symbolized the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us on Calvary's cross being used as a tool in consulting Assyrian gods by pagan methodology? And worse than that, it caused the people of Jerusalem to do the same thing. Man, you have a new commitment here and it's bad. Based on a compromise, based on a bad companion. Psalm 1 blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, Tiglath Pelizar, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delights in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. Those who walk in the counsel of the ungodly will soon find themselves standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of the scornful. What does that mean? You go from walking to standing to sitting. Each phase shows a growing comfort and commitment to being involved with ungodly ways. Here's the message, Christian, student. It doesn't stop at bad companions and bad compromises. It doesn't stop there. But it leads to a change in habits. Changing commitments. Before you know it, you're sitting with the scornful, scorning the righteous. And you're comfortable with him. Because you're doing the same thing they do. In verse 15, Assyria's pagan worship and polytheism was now Judah's pagan worship and polytheism. What started out as the wrong people led to the wrong pattern that led to the wrong practices, as it always will do. We see this in the life of Samson. He became close companions with an unbelieving girl named, well, at Timnah, we don't know her name. And then at Gaza, we don't know her name. But we know they weren't just watching Andy Griffith's show. And then, of course, Delilah in the Valley of Sorek. He was involved with all these unbelieving girls, closely involved. Samson compromised his convictions. He did things he shouldn't have done with people he should not have done it. And before you know it, we look up and there he is committed to Delilah telling her the secret of his strength, which cost him his eyes, his freedom, his future, and he spent his last days in a mill grinding grain in place of the animal. 
Someone has said sin finds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. And yes, good news, God forgave Samson of his sin, but he still paid a heavy price for doing so. And that will be the outcome of every student or every adult who gives in to these three temptations. Paul told the Romans, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed in its mold. Don't be like the world is. Be different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Teglath-Pelizar was popular. Man, he was the new it. He was the new thing, the new kid on the block, powerful. Anybody who was anybody knew Tiglath-Pelizar. I mean, you had to be good with him to be popular. He was also pagan and unbelieving. Young folks, don't be swayed by the popular and the powerful. Oh, if I'm close to them, I'll be in the, I'll be in the group. I'll be among the Illuminati, man. I'll be, I'll be on top of the world. Find your fellowship in true believers. Join with God's people. Those who love Jesus, who love the Lord and are faithful to Him, and who love His church, even if that church is not Scott Lake Baptist Church. They go somewhere else to a Bible-believing church. Love that church. Avoid these three temptations. And avoid Ahaz's sins. And you'll not regret it. You'll not regret it. And my guess is, if a certain person in Moscow in jail today could hear this sermon, she'd say amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray these words would bear fruit in the lives of our students. Thank you for their commitment, their courage, their witness. But Lord, I pray you remind us all of these things. Yes, love unbelievers. Yes, be kind, be friendly, build a bridge. But don't cross the bridge to live on the other side like they live. That we might reach them with the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness we have in him. And Lord, I pray that you'll use this message to challenge our students today. Help us to live for you with full devotion and commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we stand in just a moment to sing Have Thine Own Way, let me just remind you of something. Only having Christian friends won't get you to heaven. Going to church won't get you to heaven. Doing your best, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, all these things won't get you to heaven. The Bible says, By grace have we been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One sin is all that it takes to keep us out of heaven. Just one. Uh, one bad thought. Stealing something as small as a paper clip. James 2.10, whoever stumbles in one point is guilty as if they've broken it all. You would not drink a glass of milk that had one drop of diphtheria in it, would you? Say no, you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. God cannot let sin into heaven. He cannot let one sin into heaven. That's a problem. I've done more than one. And a we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We've all done more than one. Jesus made a way whereby our sins can be transferred to him 2,000 years ago, 6,000 miles away on Calvary's cross. And we can say, Lord Jesus, take my sins upon you. Take my punishment for me. 
transfer your righteousness to me so I can leave death row as a free man, woman, boy, or girl. Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. God proved his love for us even while we were sinners. Christ died for us. So what do we do? Just know about it and shake our head? No. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call on Jesus to save you. You have to ask him to come in your heart, be your Lord and Savior. Doesn't happen by osmosis. Doesn't happen just by believing and agreeing, you know. There's got to be a call. Lord, save me. Save me. Like the thief on the cross. He couldn't just look up and say, yeah, that's the Messiah. Yeah, I believe he has the power to save. He had to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. We've got to call on Jesus. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stand at the front today. We're all going to stand up. We're going to sing. If you've never made a commitment to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you can do that today. You can come forward and say, Pastor, I, I want more information. I want, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I've got people I can talk to or you can talk to me. They can take you to a quiet place, an open Bible, answer all your questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ. All right? Did you know that nothing else in life is as important as this? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Do what God wants you to do. Maybe you're here today and you need a church home. If Scott Lake is where God wants you, we'd love to have you. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, there we are. You can say, Lord, help me to live more for you. I'm tired of letting the church be the parsley. I want it to be the porterhouse. I'm all in. I'm in. I don't want to be served parsley and be okay with it. I want to give you everything. All on the firing line. It's all in. Time's too short to be a, a parsley Christian. We need porterhouse Christians, right? All right. Let's stand and sing. Have thine own way. If you need to come, I'll pray with you today. Come on. Come on right now. Do what God wants you to do. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus to be his fully devoted follower, yeah, it's a radical thing. Lord, save me. I'm yours. Come into my heart. Change me. I'm crowning you as the new Lord of my life. No more parsley on the plate. It's time for porterhouse. Come on, as we continue to sing. Last verse, don't wait. I'm going to hang around the service for a little bit after it's over. And if you need to speak with me, I hope you'll feel free to do that, okay? Don't leave if you have questions. Don't leave if you're not fully committed to Jesus. He rose from the dead. He's the only one that did. That's why he has my vote as the Messiah. So I hope to see you after service. I'll be looking forward to it. Tonight, I'll be preaching a, an interesting sermon where, uh, well, the Moabites attacked and they killed an Israeli and they tossed his body in a rock tomb 
Little did they know, they threw it on the shelf with the prophet Elisha. And as one last amazing miracle, when the dead body touched the bones of Elisha, well, the old body sprang back to life, and the pallbearers all swallowed their bubble gum. <laughs> and the title of the sermon is, How to Raise the Dead After You're Dead. How to Raise Their Dead After You're Dead. My homiletics professor told me you get one, it's a textual topical, if you'd classify it, it's a textual topical sermon. It's kind of hard to preach that as a pure textual message, but it's a textual message with a topical application, things we can do to continue to reach people for Jesus after we're dead and gone. So uh, Elisha did a pretty good job of it, so hope to see you back tonight. And by the way, my homiletics professor told me when you do your one, you've got to go home and repent, so I guess I'll have to go repent after I do it. <laughs> anyway, thank you for being here today. Brother Chuck, thank the Lord for letting us make giving part of our worship. If you're in the Bible book, Explore the book series. That was part of your lesson today. When you saw they had the, the priest all going around to collect the offering, the half shekel tax, remember that? And that didn't work out very good. It wasn't being done. 23 years, they weren't able to do any repairs on the temple. And finally, Jehoiada said, we're doing this all wrong. We, we, we need to make sure people give in conjunction with worship. And so they put the box where they would, near, on the right side of the altar, of the, of the burnt offer, uh, altar, the bronze altar. And that's what they did. So, all right. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the message today. Lord, we just ask that you continue to strengthen us. Lord, let us look to you for guidance for our friends, for our morals, not other folks that don't know you as Lord and Savior. And Father, we also lift up to you our time of offering where we bring our gifts our sacrifices, our time, our talent. We ask that you'd use it to bless your kingdom. For these things we ask in Christ's name, amen.